welcome to this series of Bible studies entitled The Light of the World. Before I go into the Bible study, I just need to explain what it's about and why we are doing it. A few Sundays ago, I preached on the subject of salvation in the course of those messages. I expressed that the stepping stones to salvation follow a pattern. That pattern very simply is starting off with a knowledge of the truth. You see, salvation is for everyone, but to access the salvation that God has made available in all its glory starts in every area of our lives with knowing the truth. From there, as we mentioned, one applies godly wisdom, that's the second building block as it were, and if one does that, godly wisdom being putting into practice the truth in God's way will always result in salvation, whatever form that salvation needs to take in an individual's life. Be that as it may, I did mention very briefly what truth is. We should know this by now. Truth is what God thinks about something. Truth is not a philosophical concept, although mankind's tried to reduce it to that. Truth isn't a th- series of ideas or thoughts. It's more dimensional, multidimensional than that. Truth is knowing what God thinks. What God thinks about something, that is the truth. Now that might be all very good and well, and we have taught on that at length. The question then arises, well, how do we find out what God thinks? How do we find out what is the truth in any situation? And you see, this is a much vexed question to many, but it needn't be. And I'm going to explain why. Let me just say that discovering the truth is not just a sudden discovery, as it were. Generally speaking, there's a process involved. And before I start to explain this, you see, this study entitled The Light of the World is basically how you and I can accurately come to knowledge of the truth in any situation. Before I go into it, I just want to explain two theological terms. I don't very often discuss theology, but the understanding of these terms is quite important in this regard. The two terms are exegesis, and the other one is hermeneutics. Now, I'm going to explain them very simply. Let me just read a dictionary definition of exegesis. Critical explanation or interpretation of a text, especially of Scripture, you see. Essentially, it's the interpretation of Scripture with a view to coming to know the truth. Hermeneutics, on the other hand, is the study and establishment of principles by which Scripture is to be interpreted. You see? It's the establishment of principles by which Scripture is to be interpreted, obviously with the purpose of making the right exegesis. So you see, exegesis is actually discovering what the Scripture is saying, the original text is saying. Hermeneutics, on the other hand, is a system of rules that is used to come to that conclusion. It's the means to, as it were. Now, 
when I was starting out in this whole business of ministry, went to a particular church and I asked one of the pastors there if he had any information on hermeneutics. I thought I needed to get my act together in this regard. He handed over very kindly a thick manual and that he said is hermeneutics. I took this thick manual home and I began to read it. A lot of interesting information, to be sure. A lot of it made sense. But there was one problem that was bugging me from the very beginning. You see, that problem was that this book on hermeneutics was written by people, men of God, with integrity, no doubt. But there was the author, so-and-so, you see. Now, my problem was this. This system of rules of how to interpret Scripture is the creation of an individual, no doubt drawing upon many, many years of experience and from other people, but it was an academic treatise, as it were, on the subject. You see, now my problem was this. This set of rules was created by these people. Who's to stop somebody else from creating their own set of rules, as it were? And the truth is, that's why we have so many different churches, denominations, religious wars, etc. For the simple reason that one person uses a set of hermeneutical rules, as it were, and comes to one conclusion. Somebody else uses a different set of hermeneutical rules and comes to their conclusion. A very simple example, I think, would be the difference between most Protestant churches and the Catholic Church. Part of the Catholic Church's hermeneutic, so to speak, is the importance of the Pope. You see, stemming from that scripture when the Lord said, on this rock I will build my church, speaking to Peter, who became Saint Peter, you see. And then the understanding was, well, there's a downstream effect, and now we're sitting with the little God on earth, the little Father, as it were, and to a large extent, what he says is true. Now, be that as it may, and though many people adhere to that, a lot of people don't, you see. Many people would say, well, the Pope is just a man like everybody else, and although what he says might be important, it's not God. My point here is this, you see. They've got a different approach to what other people might have. Other people might have the approach that, well, the Bible's important, but our tradition is also very important. And they interpret the scriptures in terms of tradition, you see. Many people would say, well, that's not right, because tradition is what comes from man. Yet again, man's influence. We don't want man in the situation, we want God. The truth is we'll never get away from man involved in the situation, because the Bible, after all, was written by mankind albeit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But the point is, for you and I to come to know the truth, we have to have a system of hermeneutics, please don't get frightened by the term, a system of interpreting scripture that we can rely on. Now you see, this teaching, the light of the world, is exactly that. I discovered that by reading very carefully all the references to truth, putting them all together, analyzing them carefully with the Holy Spirit, 
that God himself has built within the Bible his own system of hermeneutics. In other words, a pattern whereby he expects his very same Bible to be interpreted. You see, the DNA, as it were, of interpretation. Scripture interprets Scripture. You see, and once I discovered this DNA, as it were, this pattern, this operating system, very much like a computer. Every computer has a specific operating system. It's a system whereby the whole thing works, you see. Well, the scriptures, I discovered, have their own operating system. And it's our job to discover what that is and to use that in the process of interpreting scripture and ultimately discovering what is the truth. So if you understand it, this whole teaching is a system of hermeneutics. But I don't like to use the term because it can get a bit confusing. It's a system whereby you and I can approach the Word of God and come to the right understanding of the truth. You see, and because it's God-ordained, it's God-inspired, it'll work every time. You might say, oh well, it's something you evolved. That might be true. I do say that obviously there's room for correction here and there. But I think as you and I look through this, we'll come to the conclusion that yes, this is what God had in mind. Because the patterns are all rooted in the scriptures, in the word of God, from beginning right through almost to the end. So I trust that this will bless you. It might seem a bit involved. It might require a bit of dedication and time. But you see, if we as children of the living God want to be established on a solid rock so that we can face what's coming on the earth, it's important. And to my mind, well, well, worth the effort. So if you have the time to join us and work through this whole process together, I know that you'll be greatly blessed and the Church of God will be more firmly established than ever before. Before I start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that you have provided us all that we need to know to be perfect. You said we must be perfect. And while, of course, we never claim that everything that we have discovered is perfect, it's an ongoing process. We know that you are perfect and you help us to attain perfection. Holy Spirit, we ask you, as the one who inspired the scriptures, to be our guide to enlighten our minds with spiritual revelation, the only way in which we can ever, ever discover the truth. And thank you, Lord, that you're available to help us every step of the way. Thank you that no force of darkness can stop that which is of God from shining through. We ask this in the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen. Praise God. Well, the starting point in this whole discussion of truth, is to realize that in the Word of God, the pattern, or the, so to speak, shadow, is that light is a symbol of truth. Light is a symbol of truth. It's more than a symbol. 
It's a graphic explanation of truth. But let's just start by reading two scriptures. Psalm 43 verse 3. Let's just go there quickly. Psalm 43 verse 3. It says there, O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. You see that? Send out your light and your truth. The two are very closely related. Let's look at another psalm in this regard. Psalm 36 verse 9. Psalm 36 verse 9 reads as follows. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. In your light we see light. It's very much like taking a small object, you're trying to work on it, and you take it up to the light so you can see clearly what's going on so that you can do the job properly, you see. Well, in the light of God's countenance, as it were, whatever is light can be understood. See that? We hold up something to the light and we see what is truth. Darkness is exposed, so to speak. Let's look at another scripture. We'll tie that up with the New Testament. Isaiah 9, verse 2. In Isaiah 9, verse 2, this is the prophet Isaiah prophesying hundreds and hundreds of years before the advent of Christ. And he speaks of him in this way, completely under influence of the Holy Spirit. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Do you see that? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Speaking of the people in Israel who were fortunate enough to be there when Christ was sent to the earth. Now it's not as if the whole land was under continual physical darkness, blackout. It wasn't that. And then suddenly somebody pulled the switch and the light came on. No, they were walking around in spiritual ignorance, not knowing the truth, you see. And when Christ came and he preached and he proclaimed the truth, the light actually came on, the spiritual light came on. They didn't have to walk around in ignorance anymore. All the scriptures that they'd read and not really understood could become clear. You see, let's look at what Christ said about himself. Very important this. Let's go to John 8 verse 12. John 8 verse 12. Then Yeshua spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see that? He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He also said of himself, I am the truth. We'll come back to that scripture in great detail. But he said, I am the light of the world. He also said, I am the truth. Can you see that? The truth came and ignorance had to go. See, 
Christ came to demonstrate the living God. Quite an amusing scripture in a way is John 18 verse 38. Here we have the world system pondering the subject of truth. John 18 38. We have Christ coming before Pilate. He's trying to get rid of the situation because he knows the man's innocent. He knows that the Pharisees and the scribes want to kill him because of jealousy. He's aware of that. He knows it's all illegal, what's going on, and he washes his hands of it. But he's got Christ standing in front of him. Right, verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Yeshua, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Yeshua answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered rhetorically, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Then the Lord says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. You see that? That I should bear witness to the truth. Remember, God is the God of truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Can you see that? Whoever is of the truth has got the light of life, hears my voice. You see, what is Pilate's response? Remember, he represents humanity, lost humanity. Pilate said to him, what is truth? You see that question? What is truth? Ironically, he was asking what is truth. Right in front of him was standing the truth. It's almost like your wife cooks a wonderful meal, roast beef, potatoes, gravy, peas, carrots, the whole toot, and she places this wonderful meal in front of you on Sunday at lunchtime. And you ask the question, what's for lunch? Can you see that, how ridiculous it is? But you see, Pilate could not understand the truth because he had not yet received the light. The truth of the matter is that in this world, unless you and I are children of God, we are precluded from the real truth. But we'll get to that in more detail. So you see, let's just grasp this, that when the Bible speaks about light, speaking about truth. Truth is symbolized in the Old Testament and in the New by light. Where there is darkness, there is deception. Where there is light, truth comes into the situation. And so does life, as we will discuss. Now, with this in mind, let's go to the Old Testament. Remember, we're talking about a system whereby you and I 
can discern the truth. A system of hermeneutics which will help you and I to use the word of God and come to a knowledge of the truth. We go back to Exodus and we'll read a few passages of scripture from Exodus, Exodus 25, 31 to 40. Exodus 25, 31 and reading some of the passages between there and 40. The background is that Israel is in the wilderness and God's commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. He makes it very clear to Moses that he must follow strictly the instructions of this tabernacle. And if you and I can grasp it, this tabernacle was something solid which God gave the children of Israel for them to communicate with him, for them to understand him. It was in a sense their Bible. The commandments, Old Testament hadn't been written. Well, the commandments had, but the Old Testament hadn't been written. The laws of Moses were not available. They had something to look at that was solid, physical, to understand the spiritual. Very much like you and I having our Bible in our hands is something written, something solid, something concrete with which we can intercommunicate with the spiritual and understand it. But in this whole process where he describes to Moses exactly what the sizes were, the dimensions, the materials, the building structures, etc., were to be, in the midst of this, he says, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. You see that? You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. Now listen to this. And six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches out of the lampstand on the other side. All right, so as you and I know, this is what we know as the menorah, candelabra, that Jewish symbol which has seven lamps, as it were. The main lamp, and then three on one side, and three on the other. God gave instructions for this to be built. All right? And then let's just go down to verse 37. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. You see, light in front of it. And its wicks trimmers and their tray shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Now you see that lampstand was lit up with oil, very special oil, and the command was that that light was never to go out. It was placed in what was known as the holy place. Not the holy of holies, the holy place. One had the congregation outside, and then you had the holy place. In that holy place, there were three things. First of all, on the left was this lampstand. The holy place was covered with curtains. The outer court wasn't. There was light, sunlight there, etc. But the inner court and the holy of holies was covered with curtains. The only light, the only light, 
Symbolically, in that holy place was this lampstand on the left. All seven of its branches casting light, eternally, so to speak. On the right was the table of show bread. Special bread had to be produced and put on there every day. You see? So on the left was the lampstand. On the right was the show bread, speaking symbolically of the word of God. The lampstand casting light on the word of God, which we'll go into in more detail. And then in the middle, in the front, was the altar of incense. Special incense had to be burnt before there all the time. Beyond that was the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go into once a year, where the presence of God was to be maintained. And the symbolism is like we've been saying all along, those three steps. The truth, which is the light, God's explanation, which is the wisdom, and then through intercession, entering into the Holy of Holies, salvation. Can you see that? You had to go through that process to enter in to salvation, which is the pattern for today. But what I want us to see is that that light was symbolized by seven candlesticks. Seven lamps, all built together in one lamp, but the central one above the others and the other three on either side. You see, speaking of truth. Can I just say at this stage that truth is multifaceted. To arrive at what God thinks accurately, we have to appreciate these different facets, you see. We have to work our way through them. The one supports the other. In politics they speak of arranging a system of law that has checks and balances, you see. The court, the legislative body, the executive, etc., and in theory it does work, but in practice we've seen it doesn't work so well. But the point is, checks and balances. In other words, not just one light. The other sources of light, which if taken into consideration together, cast the light on the word. Can you see that? So what we are going to be discussing is what each one of these lamps represents and how they interact, and how you and I, by understanding them, appreciating them, and exercising them, can come to a knowledge of the truth in any situation. I'm going to be talking about them in the next lesson, but I'll just start off with the first one. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 10 to 15. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, John the Revelator speaking, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw, now listen to this, seven golden lampstands. 
Do you see that? Seven golden lampstands. A type almost, a pattern almost, a figure almost of the menorah. You see? Now listen to this. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, in other words, the middle lampstand, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. All right. Now that's an image of the resurrected Christ. Okay. The point I'm trying to make is that the very first point of departure for you and I, the central figure in coming to an understanding of the truth, is the Lord Yeshua. He said, after all, I am the truth. And you see, until we know him, we cannot know the truth. We'll discuss that in more detail in our next lesson. But just one other thing I need to say, and that is this. Numbers have significance in the word of God. And seven stands for perfection. You see, there are seven lamps. And my point is this, and I'm going to reiterate it time and time again. You and I can lay hold of one of those lamps and conclude, well, this is God, I've got the truth. That is where the danger lies. Most doctrines, if not all of them, have an element of truth. One way or the other, you see. What the problem is, very often, you see, we've grasped one leg of the truth and proclaimed it dogmatically without stopping to realize that there are other considerations which have to be borne in mind. You see, what we're calling here the hermeneutical approach the right hermeneutical approach, the God-ordained hermeneutical approach, the system that, if applied, will lead us to the truth. And so let me just leave it with you. In discovering the truth, the starting place will always, always be the Lord Yeshua. He is the truth. Truth is a person, primarily. But you see, just having that Knowledge on its own can be dangerous. Because I can say to everybody, Jesus told me. Yeshua told me. And he might very well have told us. But before we can run out ahead and act on that, put that into operation, there are other considerations that we need to bear in mind. And I trust you'll bear with me as you look at all of these considerations, one by one, and put them all together in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen.